Welcome to IT Visionaries, created by The Mission, your number one source for accelerated learning. Susie Wee is the SVP at Cisco Systems and the founder and CTO of Cisco DevNet, Cisco's developer program which provides resources for over 500,000 application developers and IT professionals that build solutions on Cisco platforms and APIs. Susie spent over 15 years at HP and over the years has garnered numerous awards and recognitions. Also, she's been granted over 50 patents. In this episode, we discuss how she built DevNet from the ground up, how to do corporate innovation the right way, and how to get buy-in from your CEO on a long-term project. Enjoy. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. The Lightning Platform is a leading cloud platform that makes building AI-powered apps faster and easier. With Salesforce, now everyone is empowered to build apps for their organization. Learn more at salesforce.com slash buildapps. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. We have a special guest in studio, Susie Wee. How's it going? It's going well. So. This is exciting for a bunch of different reasons for us here at, at IT Visionaries and at The Mission. You started DevNet, which we'll get into a bunch later, but this is a really cool thing that Cisco created. We'll get into your background. We'll talk about the creation of that, but it's over 500,000 people now. And it's something that you know us as building a community with IT Visionaries is so cool. So let's just kind of kick off with how did you, how did you get DevNet started? Sure. So, uh, so DevNet is Cisco's developer program, and people might be surprised of why does Cisco have a developer program? You know, I know why Apple has a developer program. I know why Google has one, but why in the world does Cisco have one? You know, and the truth of what's happening is that Cisco makes networks and more. So we have a full portfolio in networking, data center, cloud, IoT, you know, security, collaboration, and all of that's becoming programmable. And so as all of that turns to software, as it all has APIs and becomes programmable, it was really important to have a developer program to teach people to make the most of those APIs. So basically what happened was five years ago, you know, Cisco was getting really intent on having a software strategy to fight off the evils of what people were calling SDN and how SDN was gonna make Cisco irrelevant to the industry. But the truth is that actually Cisco was embracing software. And while Cisco didn't like the definition of SDN at the time, because it was defined as just more in the academic world as open flow, flow control, and things like that. But Cisco did know that the world had to, was going to go to software, that we were going to drive it there. And what I wanted to do was make sure that in addition to our software strategy, we had a developer strategy as well, so that the ecosystem could participate, so that you know people could build and innovate around the products that were going to come. So who are the you know five hundred thousand plus strong people in the DevNet? Kind of what's the what's the profile of of those folks? So we take our DevNet community and we think of them in roughly speaking two categories. There's the infrastructure developers. So they might be the networkers who've had to learn to use software to be able to embrace this new technology. And then in addition to the infrastructure developers, there's the application developers. And these are people who write mobile apps, cloud apps, but now have an entirely new type of app they can write as they use the programmability that's available in the network and IT infrastructure. 
So uh, our community is about 50-50. It's about half infrastructure developers and half application developers, and uh, it's only growing. And another really interesting thing is that, you know, our app dev community and our infra dev community, you would think maybe they don't have that much to talk about together, but it turns out that we're actually hosting some events. We have a, a developer conference called DevNet Create, where we actually have focused it more around the app devs, but of course, some of our infra devs come. And that mixing of communities has been spectacular because the app developers have a lot to learn about the programmability that comes out of the infrastructure. And then the infrastructure developers are meeting these application developers that allow them to create new solutions that they've never been able to do before. So the mixing of these communities has been pretty phenomenal. That's great. That's really cool. Taking a step back from that, how did this become kind of your baby? How did you look at you know, what Cisco was building and kind of create this? And what are the scope of your responsibility as CTO at DevNet and as an SVP at Cisco? Sure. Well, so what happened was about, you know, again, five years ago at that time, I knew that the world was going to get more software and more programmable and have more APIs. Um, at that time, anyone in a big company knows it's really hard to start up new efforts within large companies. And something as much as a developer program would be a really hard thing to start up. And yet what we knew is that our portfolio, we were developing it to be more software oriented. We said that the network devices, the way you manage the network, that the way you add new capabilities like security, all of that was going to require more and more programmability. But Cisco had this world of networkers. So there's this world of partners and networkers, people who you know build and install and manage mission critical networks around the world. They're all in Cisco's community. And they all needed to, they all will need to pick up new skills to be able to handle their network, which is going to become a big software system. And so what we wanted to do was make sure that all those people who are operating today's networks, and this was five years ago, was to make sure that they would have the skills that they would need to handle this new software-driven network that was going to come. So what we did was, you know, I kind of gave 200 pitches around the company saying, hey, we have a software strategy, but we need a developer program because we need to help people use these APIs and that are going to come about. And so after all those pitches, we finally got it up to the CEO and, you know, it happened actually exactly five years ago in October, October 2013, that I went up into the boardroom, I got a spot on the agenda, was able to actually present to them the need for having a software a software and developer program for Cisco. And the CEO said, John Chambers, he said, Susie, you're right, we need to do this. And he said, okay, you can start it. So how, do, I mean, that is so many pitches and that's really interesting. So what was your role at the time? I mean, obviously, you know, you'd had a long career at HP and you'd done a bunch of kind of like entrepreneurial endeavors in your career, right? So this was kind of obviously something that you were going to like found and bring to the table for lack of a better term, but also it was something super innovative. Like what were you doing at that particular time for Cisco and how did you kind of position it as you were pitching, you know, over 200 people? Yeah. So, you know, my background overall is in the area of multimedia 
video conferencing, mobile video, you know, kind of all of this type of stuff. I joined Cisco seven years ago and I joined as the CTO for collaboration. So I was the chief technology officer for the collaboration business. And then about five years ago, I moved into a more central role. So I moved into the CTO office for the entire portfolio, not just the collaboration business. And I was kind of rethinking the paradigm of networking. So, you know, I was just as a CTO thinking, what are the disruptions that are going to happen in the field of networking? What are the big transitions that are going to take place and how can I help those most? Now, what was interesting is in my past as a researcher, you know, as an HP labs, as an innovator, uh, and then I started managing teams and I turned into a CTO. And as I came to Cisco, I stayed in the CTO role. But overall, it was my job to kind of do the innovations and to really, you know, make lead my teams to develop innovations themselves. But then I kind of made the turning point of, you know, it's really about what the community innovates. It's about what the ecosystem innovates. And so as we have more of our products and our platforms become more software driven and have APIs, what matters is how I help this bigger community to innovate on top of those platforms. And so not many CTOs run developer programs, but you know, it's kind of making this mindset shift from I need to do and lead the innovations myself to I need to catalyze the bigger world to be able to innovate. And that's really what the developer program's all about. You know, I find it super fascinating because I think a lot of times there's this desire to innovate internally, but there are few companies or fewer companies that think about, we need to innovate the entire ecosystem. Like we need to level up the ecosystem. You know, obviously Salesforce, who's, you know, our sponsor of the, of the podcast, but they do a great job of ecosystem innovation. You know, it's like $1 to Salesforce is $4 to the ecosystem or something like that. But with Cisco, I mean, you're talking about in five years getting to 500,000 developers. How does that change? Like, how did that, how did you grow that? How did you iterate? How did you look at those type of things? And what type of internal buy-in? Because obviously, you know, those folks all have customers, they have stakeholders, they have people who they want to be involved in this type of program. Like, how did it, you know, change over the last five years? Yeah, it's pretty crazy because, you know, at the beginning, especially if you go back to five years ago, Again, in the in the industry or in academia, you could say that there was the thought of software-defined networking and what that would do, but that was really a small group of people who were really accepting of it. You know, certainly the advanced people in the academic field, but if you looked at the community of networkers around the world, people were not yet ready for that. But again, we knew that the shift was coming and that we were even gonna make it happen. So the question was, how do you bring people along? And quite honestly, there was no developer program for an infrastructure company like Cisco. So we couldn't copy anybody. <laughs> you yeah. know? So you would think that making a developer, that growing a developer community and running a developer program would be easy, that you should be able to look it up and just kind of do it. But actually, there's no instructions for it. It's pretty crazy. And especially, you know, again, with networkers, security, <laughs> data center, cloud, IT, there really wasn't that much of a developer program out there. So the way that we had to do it was to just try it. And what we wanted to do was start small because, well, that's all we had. <laughs> and uh, and then basically our, our idea was, okay, first of all, in a very basic way, what, what Cisco developers need is one place to go to learn about our APIs. Just something really simple. So we started 
developer.cisco.com. We created one website to put all of our APIs. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's actually a really hard thing to do when you're in a large company with so many products. So we had to gather all of those things together, put them all in one place. And it was actually novel because, uh, you know, some of the word on the street at that time was that in order to learn about an API from Cisco, you had to know the product manager. And there's no way you're going to grow a developer community based on that. So the first thing we did was create developer.cisco.com. Now, the second thing that we wanted to do was we said, you know, we have Cisco Live. It's kind of our user conference for our community. People come to get their Cisco certifications and learn about the newest technology. But we said, hmm, okay, Cisco Live US, about 25,000 people come. Why don't we host a developer conference there? So we said, let's just try it. You know, so, you know, it was being held in San Francisco, you know, so we got the okay to start DevNet in October 2013. In May 2014 was Cisco Live US. And then we said, let's try to have a developer conference there. And so we organized it, 24-hour hackathon, deep dive API sessions, coding 101 classes for people who are rusty on their coding, you know, set up some demos that show some cool things being built on the APIs. And so we got it all set up and we're just going to pretend as if we had a developer program, pretend as if people knew who we were, got it all set up, and then we were ready to go. But quite honestly, we didn't know if people would come. Yeah, I was just going to say, everybody shows up, right? That's just how it works. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to market it. You don't have to tell anyone. Everybody's just going to show up, right? So people will show up at Cisco Live. Would they come up to the DevNet zone? Yep. And we really didn't know. And plus, no one heard of DevNet. Even today, some people haven't heard of DevNet. They're still kind of making their way. But we just kind of opened it up. And when we opened it up, then people were just walking by. We had these learning labs that were just teaching people about all the APIs. You could just log into a computer, just go through, understand our API, see how you could use them. So there was a guy that was sitting there, and he was going through the learning labs. He didn't know who I was. I was walking by. And then I hear him pick up the phone and he's calling his friend. He's like, hey, buddy, you got to get over here. Cisco's doing something different. They're opening up. (laughs) And so he called up his friend. And then sure enough, another day or two later, the whole place was packed. It was just packed shoulder to shoulder. The CEO, well, you know, John Chambers, they took him. They said, uh, hey, you have to come over here. There's this thing going on over here. He came over. Everybody just you know, (laughs) just uh, crowded him and was like, oh, take a selfie, take a selfie. And then the rest of the leadership team, the executive leadership team came over because they said, you guys all have to go over here and see this. And basically what happened was they saw, oh my gosh, the audience is ready. You know, they found a way to learn. They just stumbled upon this. The word just spread. And, you know, that told us that people are ready and DevNet is the right thing to do. And that was the right time to do it. That's an awesome story. I mean, I think one of the things that's so interesting is that innovation for companies that have been around a while sometimes is tough. And I think that a lot of CIOs and CTOs that we've talked to in the past say, we're a company that's based around innovation, but we aren't necessarily innovating in a way right now that people will care about, right? But the truth of the matter is like people are kind of waiting for that next innovation and they're open to it if it actually does happen, especially if it's a way that benefits them, right? It is. And what happened is uh, actually people were scared. So if you take a look at 
the audience, you know, the networkers out there, the IT folks that are out there, they were scared of this world of software. So they went into IT. They didn't go into being a software developer. You know, they didn't go into programming, but they did go into running mission-critical IT infrastructures and, you know, running mission-critical networks. So they definitely have, they're technical, they have a drive, they love that challenge of, you know, running things operationally. When something goes down, they get it back up. But they weren't there to be software programmers. So the whole thought of, oh my gosh, everything's turning to software, I have to learn about it, that was actually a threat to their existence. And so what happened was by DevNet taking the role of, we're gonna teach you, and we're gonna teach you about software in the language and within the context of what you do. So if you go to DevNet and you take Coding 101, your first API call is not gonna be get Twitter followers, it's gonna be, get network devices. Oh, nice. Or it's going to be set the QoS policy for an application. So this is what they have to do in their everyday lives. And this is the way that we taught them. So they could actually learn in the context of what they do. And um, the other thing is that, you know, there was also the fear of you should be a developer. And what does that mean? And the thing that I tell them is that, okay, you need to be a developer but you don't need to be a coder who can pound out hundreds of lines of code a day. There will be a coder and there will always be coders who are better than you at that, unless you choose to be. If you choose that, you can. So you don't have to be a coder, but what you have to become is a power user of software systems because your network and your IT infrastructure is a big software system. So you need to know what it does. You need to know what the APIs are, what the capabilities are. You need to be able to know about the latest tools like GitHub and everything you can find out there, Postman. You probably have made an API call before, but you need to know what a REST API call is. So you just need to kind of get familiar enough with all of this so that you can speak to it, so that you can direct a coder who's going to be alongside you and know what they can do. But you don't have to become the coder yourself. And so when we describe that to people, then they get it and they understand and they know why they need to learn it. And then they love it. And ultimately, they need to know how that partners with business, right? Like they need to actually understand how that integrates into the business functions of their company, right? Absolutely. And that's where, you know, the role of IT is definitely changing in that you can't just be technical. You can't just sit there and take care of that and leave the business elsewhere. Quite honestly, the IT budgets are shrinking. More is going to the line of business. And the more that IT can solve these business critical problems, enable the whole new world of a digital economy and digital businesses, the further that they're going to get. So that's another key area is that we're teaching people how to build solutions, how to use software, not necessarily just be able to write it all, but how to put it all together. And it's really all about those new solutions they can put together and being able to express the business value proposition for what they do. Yeah, I mean, what are some other changes that you kind of see from, you know, as IT is changing and what being an IT person is in the future? And like, I guess looking at, all of the folks from DevNet that you've seen change over the last five years and those requirements, like what are some of those newer requirements that you're seeing and the profiles of these IT professionals that are building skills? I mean, I you know, we talk about a lot of times that the best IT leaders are the ones who are figuring out how to move away from the ticket taking mentality and into the innovation mentality. 
What are some of those skills that you're seeing that are going to be super valuable going forward for IT leaders? Yeah, I think that some of the key areas are that they know how to speak to the business. They know how to collaborate with the business. So it's no longer just about satisfying tickets, you know, keeping them, you know, keeping them closed, closing them as fast as you can, but it's about providing business value. Quite honestly, every business in the broader sense of the world of the word is having challenges because, you know, everyone needs to figure out, oh, how do I go from, you know, brick and mortar shops to having online <laughs> sales, right? How do I deal do that in retail? How do I do this in medicine? How do I compete against, you know, the new types of electric cars, you know, when I'm doing? So with everybody, there's a major disruption that's going on in the industry. And what they business leaders need to do is to be able to handle this and make the transition themselves. And so it turns out that in order to do it, they need to pay attention to what their IT systems can do. And if your IT systems are sitting there in the way that they were originally designed, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, then you're not doing the best that you can to take your company into the future. But the only way that your company will be successful is if IT does modernize and if the IT leaders are basically using the newest in cloud technologies, understanding public and private cloud and hybrid cloud and what's there, making sure that they can mix with the newest applications and cloud services that are out there, but then also being able to properly handle their consumer data, you know, look at GDPR requirements, their business critical resources, and handle those in the most mission critical and secure ways. So quite honestly, a lot lays in the hand of IT. And the more kind of modern that you can make yourselves, that the IT professionals can make themselves, the better they can. And that's a hard thing to do because there's learning new skills, there's risk taking and everything there. But Quite honestly, you can make or break the business based on what you do. What would be your advice for a first-time CIO? My advice for a first-time CIO would be to be bold. And a lot of times you're going to sit there, and this is actually really for any C-level executive, uh, actually for anybody, quite honestly, is you're often sitting there and you're saying, okay, I'm running things the way they've been run, and they've been working well. How do I disrupt myself? You know, how do I go to this newer world when I have the responsibility of everything that's been done in the past? And the tendency is going to think that everything needs to be running in the same way that it used to run. So then the question is, how do you take that risk to embrace the newest technologies? Should you try using containers and microservices? But that's not proven. Should I just do it the way that I used to? Well, quite honestly, you have to take risks and you have to be bold in doing that. You know, if you just kind of go and make minimal changes to inch along, you're just not going to get your company where it needs to be to handle all of these disruptions in this fast-moving industry. Switching gears a little bit to to focus on Susie for a second. <laughs> so you have received a ton of industry awards, all sorts of different kinds. Is it true that you have over 50 granted patents? Yeah, <laughs> I do. <laughs> so what were your inspirations for kind of like the early innovation in, in young Susie's life? Let's see. So when I was little, really the coolest thing that ever came about was the computer. And unfortunately, I'm old enough that that was new enough at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I was, you know, first got a hold of 
my first computers and my dad brought home an Apple IIe computer, then it was the coolest thing ever. And so being able to program on it, being able to make it do what I wanted it to do was just fascinating. And I know that my dad would be like, Susie, go to bed. And I'd like pretend to go to bed, then sneak back out and start programming again. That's so funny. (laughs) But it was just really neat to be able to just program it and tell it what to do. And then after that, you know, growing, I grew up in a small town in Western New York. It's called Batavia, New York. There wasn't a lot wait, of technology around. Wait, where? Sorry. <laughs> Batavia. It's yeah. right between Buffalo and Rochester. It's okay, not got Buffalo. It, yeah. It's not Rochester. Yeah. It's its own little small town right in between there. I have family in both Buffalo and Rochester. So that's uh, okay. why I was like, it sounds familiar. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. You drove by it when you're going back and forth. <laughs> so there, you know, I mean, it was, a, it's a great place to grow up. You know, I had great teachers and everything there. We didn't really see many engineering jobs. I had no idea what an engineer was. But fortunately, my dad had an aspiration for his kids to go to MIT. Actually, he wanted to go to MIT, but uh, he didn't have the opportunity. He became a medical doctor because that was known to make more money at the time. But, you know, he helped me know about what that was. And I applied for college and then going from Batavia, I went to MIT for college. And instead of coding, you focused on wanting to hit people as a hockey player, right? Ah, I did get some degrees in electrical engineering and computer science, and I joined the hockey team. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, and that was really a fun thing. So uh, I didn't know you knew about that. But like learning about the technology was awesome. So having a framework to learn about signal processing, video, multimedia, sending video over networks and all of that was really, really cool. And then on the other side, playing team sports was super cool. And I learned to play ice hockey by being at MIT you don't have to be the top athlete to play on the team. So I played, and as long as you try really hard, you do well. And, you know, I basically stayed for undergrad and grad school. So I got to be on the women's hockey team from being like the worst player on the team to hanging out in school for 10 years. And by 10 years later, I ended up to be one of the better players on the team and even coached the team. (laughs) But the thing that I learned in that was teamwork. And so... You know, you see people who are working hard. You see people who are trying to learn new skills. You can see individuals trying to become teams. You can see when teams fail because of individuals. And you can see when teams win, even though they don't have the best skilled players on the team, but they learned how to play well together. And that's really a big important part of innovation. So I bring that up because any innovation that you do is about bringing together different types of people, working through the dynamics of, you know, people who have, who think different things are important. So one might be, I'm an innovator, I have these crazy ideas. Another would be, get back to basics, you know, another will be like very operationally focused. How do you get all of these people together to create amazing innovations that are bigger than what they could do alone? You know, and we got to spend some time with your team at Cisco and kind of looking at the DevNet and how you integrated so many people and different types of folks. I mean, with the scope of responsibilities for, you know, there's been over DevNet Express events in over 60 countries by now. DevNet is in, you know, way more countries than that, obviously. How do you think that kind of like that team and supporting all of those folks how do you kind of continue to like have your team support people in different countries and different locations with different needs and all of that? Like it's it's such a complex organism at this point. <laughs> it is. Um, really what's been what's been fascinating is how we've been able to create DevNet 
even within the organization, and then to have that continued impact out with our community. You know, one thing is like when I started DevNet, I'd only been at Cisco for two years. So I didn't know everybody in everything, but I started to build and grow this team and they have all different kinds of backgrounds. And, you know, a lot of the people on my team are like, oh yeah, I worked with that person back, you know, 10 years ago on this project. And it's not even high level executives, but it's even the troops. Like someone knows someone in developer, like someone in developer support knows someone in product support and knows how to get cases solved, right? Someone else is in product management, documentation, running events, you know, getting in contact with marketing. And what happens is what we've done is just brought all these people together. And actually, my team is amazing. They've used all of their contacts to make DevNet actually stick within Cisco and become really a part of the fabric, which is not clear in a big company how to start something new and make it become part of the fabric of the company. And really what's been key is just taking all the background and the crazy ideas that every person on my team has, and then figuring out the right ones, building around those ideas, and then running with it. And what happens is, you know, I'm proud of my team. They've just poured their hearts into making DevNet a success. And they've been, we've been very externally focused. So the first thing is, what does our community need? And, you know, by really being community first, like all about our developers, by being very customer focused is like, how can we make those developers happy? How can we help them succeed? Then that basically shines through. So I think that we've been really fortunate that we have a great community outside. And really the community constantly tells me how great my team is. And I think it's really just because we're doing this with all our hearts. We have a mission that we believe in and we just do anything to get it done. So what's next then? What's What are some of the exciting things coming you know, down the pipe for DevNet? I know the code exchange is a big part of that. So maybe you could share some thoughts on that. Yeah. So you know, a really fun thing is now that we've hit 500,000 developers, and we're actually at 536,000 developers, <laughs> what happens is we have a large enough community that they can contribute back. And so what happens is we have people from our community who are answering each other's questions. We have people from the community who are actually writing and submitting code back for the community to use. Actually, there is this kind of interesting comment is, you know, the best coder, how, how many lines of code does a good coder write? And, you know, some would say hundreds of lines of code a day. Can I say zero? Okay, that's what the answer uh, was. Yeah. yeah. Why do you say zero? So I would say because I would say it's the best coder is the one who can clearly articulate the vision for what they want and that their team can build can build that vision. That would be my guess. That's a really good part. That's a good part of it. That's a huge part of it because you have the vision, you know what to build. And then I'm going to add that on top of your team building it, it's also that you know where to find code that's been written Ooh, from the community. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> We're all about low code here at the mission. <laughs> <laughs> so basically what code exchange is about is finding code from the community that's already been written for our platforms. It's out there on GitHub. But the problem is there's sometimes too much code out there and nobody knows which one can I use to put into my mission critical network. <laughs> so um, what we do is we'll actually go through the code that's out there. People can submit their code if they've written something useful. And then we provide a list of the kind of Cisco curated 
code, the curation of that code that's out there and say, you know what, we recommend you can use this code with these platforms. That's really cool. So how do you manage governance? And I mean, this is kind of a bigger kind of overall thing. You have so many different things going on. Uh, how do you manage governance as, you know, with DevNet and then also with specifically with the code exchange? So uh, what we do is we actually very much have a governance where we team up with all of the other stakeholders within our business. So we take the people who write Jeet of the products themselves and we have them that's together with us. When someone external submits some code, then we just pass it through. We take a look at it ourselves and then we evaluate it with the right people from the people who've built the products themselves. And then we just give it its okay. <laughs> and uh, and then we post it out there and we just have a link. We just keep it on GitHub. Like there's no need to change it. We'll add a page that can kind of add more description that tells people what it can do and uh, let people know how they can use it. So that that's pretty key. You know, another part is we have code exchange but we also have something that we call ecosystem exchange. And this is basically the marketplace for a new type of application that's out there. And so what I mean by that is take an app developer. So app developers can do amazing things. App developers have been able to write mobile apps that people use in their pockets every day. App developers can write cloud apps and they have all these amazing cloud resources in front of them. But I'll argue that there's actually a new type of app that's coming around, and that's the app of a digitized infrastructure, the app of a smart city, the app of an IoT manufacturing plant, the IoT of a building that's built with digital infrastructure, you know, LED lights, you know, automated heating and cooling. And what happens is you can get a lot of information from a Cisco infrastructure that app developers can actually use. And this might be surprising, but let me just give you a really simple example, which is uh, you would expect that from Cisco, you could buy some Wi-Fi networking gear and you could get connectivity. So that's a great thing is people can wirelessly connect. But the newest thing that these Wi-Fi networks do is they actually give you location information. So, you know, when people walk in, you have Wi-Fi on, the wireless infrastructure actually knows that you're there or it knows your device is there because it's looking for a network connection. So through this, what you can do is quickly generate heat maps. We can generate heat maps that tell you in a shopping mall which areas are busy and which areas are not. Wow, that's really interesting. Which of those devices have been there before and which have never been there before. So we don't have to invade privacy of any type, but you can get a lot of valuable information just about who's in there, what peak times are and everything like that. And then imagine an app developer who could actually build on that information. You know, it's really interesting. We talked to the CIO of Palo Alto, the city of Palo Alto, Jonathan Reichenthal in a previous episode. And one of the things that he talked about was streetlights are perfect exactly. sensors. And so with that, yeah, that's really interesting, especially with heat map data. I mean, one of the things that, you know, we're really fascinated about is that smart cities, but I, I hadn't thought of it as like the application is what you're building the infrastructure. Yeah. Around. So, I mean, so that's awesome to talk to the, you know, the head of the department of transportation for, or the head of city of Palo Alto. So that's the perfect example is, you know, an app developer, while they've been able to write mobile apps and cloud apps, can they actually write an application for Palo Alto? Actually, that hasn't been open to them. Yeah. You know, so anything that touches that infrastructure is another thing. But nearly every city infrastructure is a Cisco customer. 
So what happens is that Cisco partners around the world sell Cisco gear to just about every customer you could imagine. So any shopping mall, any city infrastructure, any department of transportation, you know, they use Cisco products. And what happens is more of these products are programmable, then what happens is that that becomes a platform for app developers. And so this really cool thing is just, you know, like for IoT, as you have different IoT applications, then, uh, you know, the city gets networked together, all those light sensors on light posts have to go in and speak to some piece of network equipment. And from there, you can start to get really interesting information about, you know, what's going on in the city, or you can actually control what needs to happen. We actually had a great example in um, Spain, where they actually wanted to have a religious ceremony down the streets of the city. And so as they were having it, there was a time when the lights needed to be full blast. But as the procession was going on, they needed to turn down the lights. And they were able to control this to have this amazing religious ceremony across the city by having that partnership and having everything kind of digitally controlled. Wow, so, that's fascinating. Yeah, there's this really interesting thing going on. And this is what we do with Ecosystem Exchange, where we can actually take the set of application developers, people who've written a third-party app, that can work on a city, like on a, in a Cisco infrastructure, and then have our partners around the world able to sell that application. So it's kind of interesting because Cisco's channel partners around the world who are installing infrastructure actually become the marketplace <laughs> for today's app developers for this new type of app that'll be created. It's um, pretty exciting. It's a That's whole really new paradigm That's really exciting shift. stuff. Yeah, we'll have to bring you uh bring you back in a little while once we see more of these examples because that's that's fascinating stuff. Are you ready for the lightning round? I'm ready. Lightning round is brought to you by the lightning platform by Salesforce and we're going to get into it. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? I quite honestly just love Facebook. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is our first Facebook. Uh, that's that is our first one. That's great. And it just because it allows me to connect to all my old and new friends in a very quick digital way. <laughs> Favorite time-saving tool? Actually, it just has to be things like Twitter and Facebook and everything there as well. Yeah, being able to quickly read the news, get some curated insights from others. What's your Twitter handle? Susie Wee. Oh, gee, that's so easy. We'll link it in the show notes. Follow Susie. Favorite use of AI or chatbots that you've seen recently? Okay. I have to kind of cheat. One is uh, because it's one that we've actually built. It's a security bot. So here is one where you have a security operations team. The security operations team needs to talk to each other, figure out what's going on out in the world. And as they see, oh, here's some malware or here's a bad you know, URL that I need to get to, the chat bot will actually go and talk to our threat intelligence software, things like Talus and others. Cisco Umbrella, these are things where we're constantly monitoring the operations, where we have 300 researchers who are sitting there constantly monitoring what's going on the internet, and uh, the security bot can help you find those problems. Favorite team sports or otherwise? It's very easy. So ice hockey is my favorite team sport, and I love my hockey team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> favorite podcast or recent book? There's a recent book, The Seventh Sense, which is pretty interesting. Ooh, I don't Looking know. at how the networked world comes together and all the implications on, you know, on everything. Security, the next level of networking, intelligence, 
everything. Favorite one day getaway in the Bay Area? Going up to San Francisco. <laughs> Touche. Not right now though, although that we're taping yeah, this during the not a great. <laughs> yeah, during the uh, all the fires, so it's pretty pretty uh, hazy around here. Favorite show or content or anything that you're watching? Actually, there's the show I just started watching. It's This Is Us. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So super interesting about a very diverse family that's come together, split up, come back together. Super interesting. Technology you're most excited about for the future? The programmable infrastructure. <laughs> yeah. I guess we kind of as geeky as that is. <laughs> I know. I feel like we kind of already answered that one, but the, I, that is really exciting. That is definitely one of the most exciting ones we we've heard yet. Final question: What is your best advice for people who want to be a CIO or CTO someday? The best advice that I have for people who want to become a CEO or CTO or CIO is to get out there. Get out there, tell people about your crazy ideas, get as many of them bought into your crazy ideas as possible. Ask them for advice on your crazy ideas because they'll make your crazy ideas even better. And by forming that network and by you know constantly stretching your mind, you'll get to what you want to be. I love it. Susie, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Any final shout outs or anything? I want to just have a shout out to my three-year-old daughter who's at home sleeping right now, but is ready to take over the world. I love it. Thanks so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce, a leading cloud platform that makes building AI-powered apps faster and easier. With Salesforce, now everyone can build apps for their organization. Learn more at salesforce.com slash buildapps.